0: Well, the series to kick off the new year is Renew 2021. Today we'll be in 1 Corinthians 13, and 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. We're going to the love chapter because we are learning how to renew our heart. We've spent two weeks on setting goals and being intentional to renew our mind. Then we spent Two weeks on setting goals, being intentional to renew our body. Now we are going to talk about renewing our mind. Uh, How will we establish and maintain healthy relationships this year? Uh, Who in your life needs your support? Uh, What are some goals you can set for for the heart? Uh, What in your own heart do you want to see more of and do you want to see less of? What would your spouse say he or she would like to see more of from you and less of from you. Uh, When it comes to the heart, maybe you can set a goal of repairing a broken relationship or facing a difficult conflict or investing in someone who you know is going to be ungrateful no matter how much you do for them. Uh, or repairing the damage your sin did to someone else, humbling yourself and apologizing, warming up to someone you've been cold or aloof to, or finding someone who's at a low point in life and saying, I'm going to encourage that person every week. These are the kinds of things that we can say, we're going to be intentional this year. We're not just going to wake up and be like, well, what's in my heart today? All right, watch out, world, here it comes. We're actually going to be intentional. We're going to see today just how important love is to a healthy Christian, a healthy home, a healthy congregation, and to our impact in the entire world. We'll see in 1 Corinthians 13 that it treats love like a a prism. I said prism, not prison. All right, not prison. All right, hear me. I See, I usually preach this at weddings because it's the love chapter. So if I accidentally pronounce a few of you husband and wife, it's unintentional. It's just I'm usually at a wedding when I'm preaching this. But love is a prism, and through this prism, we can split love into all of the different colorful virtues in Christ. So we are going to learn how to love, and in learning how to love, we're going to learn all of these different facets of healthy relationships today. Hey, let's pray. Then we'll get into 1 Corinthians 13. We'll learn how to renew our hearts. Father, we pray that you would teach us about love. Teach us this year what it will mean to walk in love, to clothe ourselves with love, uh, to show the world a love that originates from a different world. And Jesus, we love because you first loved us. So I pray that everything we aim to become this year would, would just be an aftershock, of what you've already done in our soul and we pray this in jesus name amen amen, amen. okay first corinthians 13 uh the apostle paul is talking to the church in corinth and they are a messed up church okay corinth back then was kind of like the las vegas of today the worst parts of las vegas okay so like uh just everything what happened in corinth stayed in corinth okay let's put it that way so he's trying to get this church under control And he says, I will show you still a more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. First three verses tell us how essential love is in our hearts. And number one, you can write this down. If I do not love, if I do not love, because it's all about if I don't do it. What happens if I don't do it? One way you can measure the force of something is by removing it and seeing what is taken away. If I do not love, jot this down, I will accomplish nothing. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I'll accomplish nothing. So love is the most excellent way. And the word excellent in the Greek is hyperbole. What does that sound like? Hyperbole. Hyperbole is to greatly exaggerate something, right? So the excellent, the excelling, the, the overstated, the, you know, our word for hyperbole comes from this. It's a big, grand expansive word and love is that it's an excellent way or road or path and therefore we're learning what it means to walk on this because this is couched in uh, a section on spiritual gifts in the church we notice that Paul is talking to a church that's having a hard time loving each other but they're not having a hard time trying to serve each other using their spiritual gifts they're just doing it in the flesh that's the context and the background So he's trying to show them just how crucial love is in addition to everything else uh, that is actually happening. Love is above all of the gifts, and love is actually essential to using them properly. So he says, if I do not love, I will actually accomplish nothing. Then he starts listing some things that people want. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. So he talks about speaking in tongues here, and the gift described here can be including known languages or even unknown languages. But the gift of speaking in tongues was problematic back then. They were using it in the flesh, selfishly, divisively. And therefore, this gift, along with the rest of them, can lack love in the way that they were exercising it in the church. Hey, if I do this in the church, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. That's picturesque, isn't it? Imagine if that's what you were literally doing. You just stood up on stage and you were like, crash gong, crash gong, crash gong. And Paul's like, look, if you're exercising this gift, this speaking in the flesh for your glory, self-indulgently, you might as well just set up a cymbal kit and fill the room with nonsensical noise. It's not loving. We're not getting into the theology of these gifts today because the point of the passage is the Love. The point of the passage is, are you loving others in the church? And so he says, if I do not love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and have all knowledge. So can you imagine that? Somebody has prophetic powers, they can prophesy, they know all mysteries, they have, get this, all knowledge. Who's that guy who's the number one Jeopardy winner? What's his name again? Ken, right? Ken. Imagine if someone was smarter than him. All knowledge is mine. If I have all... Spiritual knowledge. If I have all knowledge, I am the most decorated seminary professor in the country. If I have all knowledge... How many people want that? But no love... It's nothing it's nothing wow then he says if i have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love i am nothing so i'm accomplishing nothing i'm just a symbol Drop this down i'm becoming nothing if i do not love i will become nothing Verse 2, I am nothing. I am nothing. So I'm accomplished. I'm just this noisy, gong playing symbol, Or I'm just a talking head. I can do all these phenomenal things. See how smart and strong and impressive I am? Yeah, but you're not loving. So you're getting a zero in God's grade book. Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8 saw the apostles doing great wonders and miracles of faith. You remember what he did? He was like, wow, wow. How much? How much do I need to give you? I want to be able to do that stuff too. (laughs) What? Yeah, I give you money. You give me power. How much? Do you know how much? I, I can make a killing with all of that power that you guys have. What? And a lot of people, that's what it is. They want the knowledge, they want the position, they want the power, they want the money. The money. Or they want the fame, the fortune, the glory. And it's not loving. We'll become nothing. If I do not love, I am nothing. Listen, if I do not love in 2021, I am nothing. The more you strive to become a somebody, the bigger a nobody you really are to God. The more you strive to help others become like Christ, the greater you are to God. How will you, in this year, help others become like Christ? That's the goal. And then jot this down. I'll gain nothing. I'll gain nothing. I'll accomplish nothing. I'll become nothing. And then I'll gain nothing. In verse 3, if I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. I am nothing. I gain nothing. I'm really accomplishing nothing. So what does this mean? Well, if I give away all I have, so literally in the Greek it means to put food in the mouth. So the ultimate charitable act, I'm going to give it all away. So now we've got a grace person. Oh, the poor, they're out there. I'm going to give it all away. I'm going to put food in their mouth. Really? Yes. So a mercy person who really likes to take care of other people can actually operate in the flesh. Every gift can be operated in the flesh. So here you are feeding the poor. Here you are clothing the naked. Here you are, but guess what? Hello, camera. Oh, hold on. Let me move a little bit. Take the picture now. If it's for your glory, you get nothing. You get nothing. So even our acts of grace can be unloving. How can merciful people actually be selfish or unloving, well, there's a few ways this can happen. You're proud of how much you give, and you wish other people would help more. Oh, if only other people would see, and so now you're here, and they're there, and now it's a ranking system that you're on, right? So that's pride, pride in how much you give, but also it can be the grace is flowing, but the truth is not. The love is flow, but the truth is not. And if you get to the point where, in addition to the acts of grace, you have to say the hard word of truth, and then you get mute, and you won't do that because it's not nice. Now there's a big problem because you're trying to be more gracious and kind than God, right? And you won't even tell people the truth about their sin or hurt their feelings when you have to. That is using the gift in the flesh for yourself and for your glory. And you will gain nothing. Wow, I can really give everything I have away and then walk into heaven and get nothing for it? What did I get for all of my charity? Nothing. What? Do you want me to hand you an empty box to illustrate it? No. Why? Because you did it for yourself. Wow. Do you see how essential love is? It also mentions if I deliver up my body to be burned, the ultimate act of martyrdom. This is kind of a truth person, actually. I will never recant my faith. You will have to kill me. Is everyone watching? Is everyone seeing my commitment to my truth? You can actually surrender your body to be martyred, but you do it for your own glory and not for Christ's. And then when you get into heaven, hey, hey, martyr showing up. What did I get for that empty box? What? But I was just killed. Yeah, you were showing off. It wasn't for Christ. It was for you. And frankly, you were being a little too stubborn in the way you were going about that. Wow. You weren't loving. You weren't loving. Some, some use their strong devotion to truth. Their intense, passionate devotion to truth to gather followers for themselves. Oh, look at how devoted to truth she is. Oh, look at her passion. He won't give up. He won't give and then And then people adore them and adore them and adore them. In the, uh, some of the earliest manuscripts, it says, Deliver up my body that I may boast. Meaning it's flat out for their own glory. They're dug in and they're getting people to love them. Hey, if I do not love, I will accomplish nothing, noisy gong, become nothing, and gain nothing, Oh, how we need to grow in love. What's your goal for 2021? You know what? I'm actually planning to accomplish nothing, become nothing, and gain nothing. How about you? Do You see how foolish it sounds if we eliminate love from the equation? Okay, so that's the introductory little burst here. That's why this is the most excellent way. Because if you don't get this going, you're going to get zilch when you tra- traverse into the next life. Now, what does it mean to be loving? Well, then we move on to verse 4. And point two is a series of questions where we can ask ourselves how we can grow and become more loving. So jot this down, number two, how can I become more loving? How can I become more loving? And it says in verse four, love is patient and kind. Love is patient and kind. So that's the beginning there. You can jot this down. Am I being patient and kind? Am I being patient and kind? It's really important to understand that asking these questions is not meant to prompt a yes or a no answer like yep check patient kind check done there's no such thing as graduating this passage okay here's a picture of uh, kindergarten graduates we'll put that picture up there we did it and some people have in mind that they're just all done they've got have you been around people spiritually who think that they're here and you're here they got there They got, they're there, they're graduates, we did it, and they're looking down on you and they're going to help you, right? But they're not really aiming to get anywhere. You know, I really try and live as if the vast majority of my spiritual growth is coming in the future. Like, if it's a download, I'm probably not even to double digits yet. What God wants to get into my soul. A lot of people live with this 99% mentality. Yeah, there's a little bit left. God's got to just dust a few things off. But, you know, they, they feel like they're practically finished. And all the arrogance that comes from that. And so then they won't be patient and they won't be kind toward other people. Just hurry up. We had a leader once. I was talking to him about leading in the church. And he's like, I'm just trying to get people to keep up with me. And I'm like, keep up with you or keep up with Christ? You're supposed to be keeping up with Christ. Aren't they Supposed to be keeping up with Christ? He was very impatient with people. I said, that's not loving. Patient and kind. Patient is a compound word. Long plus passion. So there's these feelings that you have, and you have to lengthen them, right? Impatience is when there's these feelings you have, and they're very short. Come on, get in the car. Let's go, right? Feeling short. So if you want to become more patient, take those feelings and stretch them out long passion, long suffering. It's the opposite of short fuse. Short fuse. This might be an area that you want to target for improvement this year. Here's a picture of a fuse, and maybe if this is a particular struggle for you, <clears throat> when anything in life throws you off, people around you suddenly start acting like a fuse has been lit. Watch out. Watch out. Go to your room. Everyone, get it. Why? What's going on? Get it. Just move. Get it. And then here's what happens next. There's this countdown, right? There's this countdown, and everyone knows what's coming. And what's coming is boom! And so if this is a weakness for you, uh, everyone knows it, okay? (laughs) Everyone knows it. Some people maybe have tried to tell you about it. uh, But maybe it's time to be honest about it and say, God, I really need help becoming patient. I need help becoming patient in line at Walmart, in traffic, when I'm trying to check out and my computer is freezing. God, help me to become more patient in church, with people, in marriage, with my children. Uh, The way to learn patience is to have insanely frustrating things happen to you, right? So we had a dishwasher that wasn't, the dishwasher was actually making the dishes more dirty, which is the opposite of what it's supposed to do. And so I shared with you that I found a great deal Bought a dishwasher, and then the day before we were supposed to get it installed, they called and said, Delivery has been bumped back three months. And that challenged my patience. Three months! You were supposed to be here tomorrow. And so I canceled that order and I ordered another one. And they showed up and put it in, and they said, All right, it looks really good. They left, and then as soon as they left, it started leaking all over the floor. I said, It's not good. Turned the water off, and they're like, Well, we'll be back in a week. Okay. And then they came back in a week. And I was watching them. I was like, All right. Make sure they do everything right, and they got it all right. And, all right, does everything look good? Yeah, it looks good. As uh, soon as they left, it started leaking all over the floor again. And I'm like, this thing has to be possessed. And so I called them right away. I kept calling, 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 calling. And they, they're just driving away because we were the last job of the day. I didn't care. I just kept calling. They want to go home, calling. Finally, they pick up. And they're like, yeah. I'm like, hey, it's leaking all over the floor. All right, we're on our way back. They came back. They fixed it. And it works! And I didn't strike the rock. I feel proud of myself. That's how you learn patience. Patience and then kindness. So kindness means doing something helpful for the undeserving. Uh, Patience means you're willing to take poor treatment. I don't deserve this. Kindness is you're willing to give better treatment. They don't deserve this. Okay, did you see it? These are like twins, and a lot of these virtues are twins. I'm going to give them this even though they don't deserve it. I'm going to be patient. And uh, kindness is, uh, patience is, I'm going to take something I don't deserve. I deserve a dishwasher that works on the first try. I'm going to take it even though I don't deserve it. Patience and kindness. Love is patient and kind. Then it says this, love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. Drop this down. Am I envying, boasting, or arrogant? Am I envying, boasting, or arrogant? These are comparisons. Comparison is always a trap in relationships. Trying to evaluate yourself based on getting the report card out, and you're on one side and they're on the other, and you're just check, 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 check. Sometimes I feel that way. Sometimes people comment to me or talk to me and say something, and then I'm like, I think they're grading me. Do you ever get that feeling like someone's grading you? you ever feel that way? Like they're talking to you, but they're kind of reporting to you with a bit of a critical edge, and you're like, I think they're holding a report card. How come I didn't get a report card? (laughs) I would like to grade you on some certain things. Is that allowed? Suddenly, when the grading is happening, it just leads to less love, right? Am I envying or boasting or arrogant? Now, envy means when what you have is a problem in my heart, okay? So if you have something... And it's a problem in my heart. And it might be a thing, like, you bought a new Jaguar. You know, It might be a thing, and I see, as I see you drive by, I'm like, and it's a problem in here. That's envy. But it, it, it could be not even a thing. It could be intangible. Like, you got the accolade. You got more likes. You got the esteem, right? Whatever it is, something you have is a problem in my heart. Something you are is a problem in my heart. That's envy. I don't want you to have what you have, and it bothers me that you have it. This is a big struggle when the Oscar goes to not you. When someone else gets the blessing, the favor, the increase, and there you are watching. So I I like watching the pictures of people when they lose a contest. It's just a bit of an unhealthy obsession of mine. I like the faces. Here's a picture, a collection, an assortment of several people when they've just lost something. They've just lost, and the camera just captures that moment when someone else wins, and they're just like, "Hmm." we all do it. We all have that in our heart, but if perpetually, this is a you know, a signature struggle of yours all day long. You might just, as you're, you know, scrolling through, hmm, oh, they did, hmm, their family, uh, and, and you've got this, I'm here and they're here, I'm here and they're here, I'm here and they're here, that's envy. Envy rots the bones, Proverbs says. So if you want some spiritual osteoporosis, Envy will get you there. Envy is when what you have is a problem in my heart. Now, boasting is different. Boasting means what I have is a problem in my heart. I'm going to parade what I've got for all to see. Boasting, right? To flaunt. So these are evil twins, envy and boasting. I'm parading myself in front of others, and it could be my looks, it could be my stuff, it could be my wealth, it could be my family, It could be whatever. I'm parading it, parading it, parading it. And there is an endless parade going on right now in the world. Everyone wants you to see their glory. Boasting. Look at me. Envy. Boasting. And then arrogance. Arrogance, it means to puff up in the original, to inflate yourself. All of this is an effort to become greater by comparison. It's a futile effort, because no matter how you line up to other people, it makes you nothing better or worse to God. It's a futile effort to try and do this, to do this. Here I am, here I am, right? And arrogance is when you've concluded you've arrived. You're above all of them, and you are therefore greater by comparison. But I love how it means to puff up, you know, like you've got fake muscles, I like Tom and Jerry growing up. I love watching Tom and Jerry. One of the best Tom and Jerry episodes was Muscle Beach. They went to the beach, and Tom realized that there were some stronger cats than him. He had to fix that problem. Here's what he did. He found some balloons, and he shoved them into his shirt, and then he was able to go out there and impress the ladies, right? But it was all fake. And so finally, the bigger cats figured out that he had fake muscles, and they started popping them, and then Tom had no chance, right? This is you when... It's all about arrogant. I'm up here. Who do they think I am? They are talking to me that way. And it's just all fake muscles. It's all puffed up. Am I envying? Am I boasting? Am I arrogant? The arrogant person is basically saying, I'm a bigger deal than you. And you kind of get the feeling the longer you talk to this person, they think you're a bigger project than them. Very sad when that's a grouping in marriage. Boy, you're such a big project. I figured that out long ago. Hey, if you want to become more loving, maybe growing in patience and kindness could be a goal for this year. Maybe admitting I'm struggling with envy or boasting or flat-out arrogance could be an area where you say, Lord, it's time. It's time. It says in verse 5, Love is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. So jot this down. Am I rude or bossy? Am I rude or bossy? Well, are you? No! How dare you accuse me of being bossy? Are you struggling with being rude or bossy? Rude means to cross socially acceptable limits. That could include volume limits, you're talking very loudly. Do people sometimes have to tell you? Maybe you just have a loud voice, all right? But if you're louder than custom would dictate, you may be coming across as being rude or crude. You are crossing tasteful boundaries of jokes and vocabulary and swearing and vulgarity and slurs and insulting ways to describe other people. You're being rude. You're being crass. You're crossing those boundaries in what you're saying. Uh, Rude could also mean you're making a scene that embarrasses other people. You're making a scene. And um, do you have a history of this? Is this a particular struggle of yours? Is Is there kind of a long litany of public altercations, belittling or embarrassing other people? You like to say you're a tell-it-like-it-is person, but maybe you're struggling with being rude. Maybe what you're saying needs to be said, but the volume or the vocabulary needs to be adjusted in love. And maybe there comes a point where there's a barricade that you usually keep up, but then you just burst right through it. And you become suddenly rude or bossy. Uh, that, that's not loving. And so God wants to help you with that. Rude. And then bossy means to seek your own way. So are you, when you don't quite get your way, are you pushy about it? My agenda over yours. My will over yours. My thoughts over yours. My opinions over yours. My preferences. Frank Sinatra, right? I did it my way. And that could be the anthem beating in your heart, my way! And everything goes swimmingly as long as it's going my way. And when I don't get my way, there's going to be problems. Sometimes it's the will that causes the issue. So maybe you're like, that's me. me." God knows it. Other people know it. Do you really think if someone comes up to people who know you best, and they're like, guess what? She's bossy. They're going to be like, what? I've never seen that side of her. They know, and God knows. But it's not meant to condemn you. It's meant to conform you to the image of Christ. Now, I know as we go through these, you're probably keeping a list in your heart of other people who really need some help with these areas. Oh, I know a bossy woman. Oh, I'm going to tell her about this sermon. Thought you'd like this link but we've got to actually embrace this in our own heart. And let's face it, we all struggle with all of these. I mean, if you're getting through, if, we, if at this point in the sermon, you're like, I'm actually doing really well. Really? You don't need to work on any of these? Wow. I mean, the Bible says that if you look into it like a mirror and then walk away, oh, I'm actually pretty good. It's like you've got food all over your face. You didn't see what God wanted you to see. Maybe you're just getting defensive and You got to open up and say, Lord, help me to not be rude and bossy. Then it says, it does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It's not irritable or resentful. So jot this down. Am I irritable or resentful? What are those words? Well, irritable means sharpened, sharp in spirit. So sharpened or sharp. Uh, it it can mean that you are wounded easily or that you wound others easily. There's a sharpened, you're sharpened in spirit, okay? So when, usually you can see if someone's irritable if you try and tell them about something that's a problem in their life. Hey, brother, (laughs) there's just this thing. You kind of mentioned this in small group, and uh, I thought maybe you'd want to know that some people didn't really know how to respond to that. And suddenly there are drawn swords. Here's a picture of a guy with drawn swords. Uh, this is an irritable person. They are sharpened and ready to wound. Right? Sharpened. Sharpened. And man, if you try and tell them there's something that needs to improve, they are easily angered. I think this is the way the NIV translates it. Irritable. But it specifically means ready to injure in a, in a moment's notice. It could also mean you've been injured, which means there's this wound. And when someone comes to you, kind of aim your bruises at them. Ow! Ow! And you can't quite get to the person because they keep getting hurt by you. You did it again! You did it again! And they're like sharpened and ready to be wounded. And it's kind of a defense mechanism against what you're trying to help them with. They're irritable. They're sharpened in spirit. They're easily angered or injured. And it's not loving. It's not loving. You did it again! I can't believe I just said hello. Yeah, but it was not a nice hello. It hurt my feelings again. I feel like I can't even talk to you. It's not loving to be irritable. And then resentful means to count up or to keep a record of wrongs. Uh, so irritable or resentful. Resentful. It means to count up wrongdoing. So, resentful means you're bitter and you're historical. You're keeping a record of grievances. And when something comes up, everything comes up, right? Here's a picture of a library, and uh, when someone comes into your life and there's an unpleasant experience, oh, Judy, huh? Judy has a thought on... How I acted at that. Oh, let me pull her file up. Oh, yes. I have quite an extensive file on her. And then comes the gossip, and then comes the slander, and then comes the. Hey, are you talking to people who are keeping a record of wrongs? Maybe for another Christian. And whenever you talk to them, they are rifling through more pages, telling you of the log they're keeping the slander, the gossip. They're keeping records of wrongs. That's called being resentful. They are living in a library of injury and always rereading the pain of the past. It's not loving. Maybe it's time to burn the library down. Maybe it's time to say, I'm not listening to that anymore. Am I irritable or resentful? Jot this down. Am I rejoicing in sin or rejoicing in the truth? It says, love rejoices. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Verse 6. Hey, are you giving a friend or a family member a hearty amen, a a high five to a sinful pattern in their life? Are you cheering them on for their sin? You do it. It's for you. This is going to bring you happiness. Uh, our love does not rejoice in wrongdoing that's not love that's not well they're just following their way no that's not love well life is hard for them it doesn't matter it's not love the bible says it's wrong you can't high five like their sin listen this is a huge thing especially for grace people you can't high five or like their sin and truly love them because god said it's wrong and you walk up with the big hug, guess what you're doing? You're trying to be more loving than God. Oh, I I know God said it's wrong, but I'm here for you. (laughs) Don't listen to that, meanie. It's really idolatry to try and gather a person's love without giving them the truth. That's idolatry. It's very selfish. Am I rejoicing in sin, or am I rejoicing in the truth? rejoicing in the truth. Love rejoices with the truth. So then seven and eight are this big fireworks finale of what should be relational defaults. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. We're going to take them quickly, but write this down. Am I bearing all things, believing all things, hoping all things, enduring all things? This is a fireworks finale. To close things out and it should be in your life. Burst, 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 burst. It should just be the things that are your defaults, right? It doesn't mean it's very important. It doesn't mean that you place yourself or keep yourself in a toxic relationship that requires serious intervention or correction, biblically, or even legal protection. Be very careful here. These verses have been abused. It doesn't mean that other words of caution and protections found in Scripture don't apply. It just means these should be your defaults. And here are the defaults. Bears all things. It means to cover, to put a roof or a lid over, to protect, shield, or shelter underneath, especially when the storm is raging. Do you bear all things? It means to believe all things. Do you give people the benefit of the doubt, or do you allow the enemy to To sow suspicion and distrust and cynicism in your heart. Tell me more how that person is sinning. Tell me more. Is your default to believe all things or is your default to believe the gossip? Love hopes all things. It means you're optimistic. You're not racing to extreme conclusions or raising the stakes. Or You're hoping all things. Love endures all things. You're long-suffering long fuse you see the warts in another person's life and you are willing to love that person and love never ends this is really big because for a lot of people they reach the point where they say it's over i've hit my limit now i can go nuclear in my marriage in my small group at my job in my church because i've suffered for so long hey time is a terrible excuse for sin and we're going to spend eternity together loving God and loving one another. And therefore, love is meant to be a permanent virtue. Are these your defaults? Are you bearing all things, believing all things, hoping all things, enduring all things? Wow. So we have some work to do this week because by now you should have some goals set for your mind, for your body, and then we're going to set some goals for our heart. And on my sheet, you can, you know, you can write down goals for yourself. Lord, I want to be more patient. I want to be less whatever. You can set goals for your marriage with with my wife. You can set some goals for your heart, how to be more faithful, more involved, more engaged, less selfish, less, you know, for the kids. How do I love my children this year and pray for them and For your extended, immediate, and extended family, your siblings, your parents, what does it mean to love them? For your church, how am I going to pour the love of Christ into my church family? Um, For wounded, past relationships, how am I going to forgive? How am I going to enforce biblical boundaries or guidelines? So you, at work, so you can jot down, Lord, I I see some things that are going to be a challenge this year, and Lord, I just want to commit some commitments to you, because I need help, Lord. Help me to love other people. And as you go back through this list, 1 Corinthians 13, it's a very helpful exercise to put your name in here. Ryan is patient and kind. He does not envy or boast. He's not arrogant or rude. He does not insist on his own way. He's not irritable or resentful. Do that. And then if there are any, like, glaring inconsistencies, say, Lord, I need your help with that one. Lord, I need your help with that one. Verse 13, so now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we know that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. And Father, I do first of all pray for anyone who maybe doesn't know the love of the Father. They've never in their life known that you have loved them. And I pray that they would see that Jesus Christ is the expression of your love from heaven. Today may they receive him as Savior and Lord. And today may they understand that they are loved by the Father through the sacrifice of the Son. Father, I pray that you would purify our hearts. And as we feel convicted, reading through this list, help us to make commitments and goals this year that will fill us with the love of Christ. What a staggering assertion. If I do not love, I am nothing. Wow. If I surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us to uh, not be noisy gongs and clanging cymbals in the church and in the world. I just pray that you would help us, Lord, to build healthy, loving, deep relationships with one another. Help us, O Lord, when we encounter those people who are struggling to love to say, hey, let's check out 1 Corinthians 13 because God really wants us to grow in love together this year. And Father, I pray that as you challenge us and perfect us and purify us, that the world would see that the love that we share with one another is from a different world. Only Christ can build this into our hearts. So purify our souls, Jesus, and we pray this in your mighty name. Amen.